Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as Pretty Ugly, and the very soon-to-be-released, The Japanese Box and Other Stories, which comes out on August 1st, but it is available for pre-order now. Remember the date, August 1st, because that's going to come in handy later on. <laughs> Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus Vixen, my co-hostess with the mostest, Alison Martin, author of The Bourbon Books, which includes dibs since September, <laughs> move on Melinda, and climb the salmon ladder. Are you drinking bourbon? This is kombucha. Okay, I don't, I don't have my glasses. I mean, it's I a brown pass. bottle, so I mean, it could I was be, like, but I swear it is. Allison just pulls out moonshine. <laughs> it does look like a little, like a little jug. A little yeah. jug in. Joining us today to celebrate her soon-to-be-released book, also on August 1st, uh, Anna Dixon James, with her book, Boys Buy Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down, which is a not only is this probably one of my favorite covers ever, I love the title so much. I feel like it described most of my 20s. So thank you. It also, I think, wins for longest title. And I really want to, I, I want to see it across like boys. I should have put it down on the bottom if they just have it say, ignore everything else and just have it say boys. Boys by drinks to watch me fall down. Hi, Anna. Hello. Hello. Thank you so Anna. much for having me. Thank you for being here. Anna, tell our viewers and our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Boys Buy Me Drinks. Okay. I am by day. I am a professor at Garrett College, and I oh. love that job. I love teaching students how to read and how to write. And I also host mastermind classes for women who are looking to level up their lives. And Ooh. I've been writing since I was in sixth grade and read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And I connected with Francie and I wanted to be able to do that, to write something that other people could connect to and feel seen and heard, which brings me to my book, uh, Boys Buy Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down, which is a mouthful. Um, yeah, I know. And I love this cover. I feel like I have to mention this. This is a mashup of two West Virginia artists, Brian Pickens and Eric Pardue. And the stories talk about, they have themes of the decline of intellect in America, addiction, um, today's beauty culture, relationships, yes. emotional labor. There's a lot of stories in there. There are a lot. And mm -hmm. I was going to ask, I didn't, I didn't really count any of them. Do any of them qualify? I can't even talk. Qualify as flash fiction because some of them really are short and none uh -huh. of them get to really novella length, but there are so many stories in here. I almost wanted uh -huh. to make a list and then I realized I can't spoil any of the stories. So I can just kind of drop little, little touches, little tidbits. Like, yeah. There's, tidbits. there's one that's uh, flash fiction length, orange, sexy orange. Yeah. That it's one's very short. <laughs> is flash fiction length, is it technically under a thousand words? Is that what it is? I think it's supposed to be is under 500. A... Oh, I thought that was well, micro. That's micro. Yeah, this yeah. is micro five. Okay. Orange has 800 around there. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're different lengths because some of them go on for a little bit, but all of them are very succinct. So just when you're like, <gasps> and then the story's over. So you're like, oh, exactly. You it was like very bingeable. Like it was oh, such yeah. a bingeable read. Like I just sat down with it and I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to read like one or two stories and then I'm going to like get up and 
you know, clean the house, cook, do something, work on your own writing, Jennifer. Uh, no. And then I just like sat there and just devoured as much of it as I could in one sitting. So bravo. I appreciate that. Thank you. Devour. Um, devour. Sorry. Um, I'm, just, I'm thinking of one of the stories in particular about zombies and the decline of intellect. Devoured. I liked that one a lot. I, did too. I loved it. You know, honestly, like I didn't know, like I read the title. I knew it was a collection of short stories, but that title made me think, oh, maybe it's like a romance or like mm-hmm. memoir. And I didn't know what I was getting into, but I mm-hmm. loved it right away where I'm like, oh, this has like a little bit everything. of everything, um, which I just really, I loved it. Um, can you like, so you have a very unique voice and you write um, quirky yet dark uh, amazing thing that sounds right yeah quirky dark uh which is like my wheelhouse that's what I love I'm like is it quirky is it dark mm-hmm. sign me up uh what was your process like did you know you were going to be putting all of these together in a collection did you just you know all of a sudden look at your computer one day and go oh I have so many stories <laughs> Better do something with this. I better do something with this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I didn't write with an end goal in mind. Like, I didn't write, oh, I want to create this collection. So basically, I had personal things that I was trying to work through, personal questions I had about my personal life or about America, such as intellectual decline. Also, during that time, I was processing the end of my marriage. I was processing, you know, my daughters were going out into the world. I was becoming an empty nester. So how do I hold on to my daughter? And you see how the zombie does it in the short story. So I just had all of these, you know, working through these particular issues and they all seem to have a a kind of um, theme of emotional labor, Mm -hmm. the emotional labor taking on you, you're taking on from other people and just life in general. And so I put my favorites together and here's the collection. Well, and I know some of the blurbs I had read talk about them specifically from like a woman's point of view, but I will clarify Mm -hmm. that there are a few stories that are not from Mm -hmm. a woman's point of view. And some of those were my favorites. So it's Mm -hmm. not like if there's a man watching right now going, I won't relate. Well, yeah, you probably will because you might relate to a guy who loves Everybody relates to zombies. And everyone relates to (laughs) zombies. We shouldn't relate to zombies, Jennifer. We probably shouldn't admit that we relate to zombies. (laughs) <laughs> or roller derby girls, you know, or people going There's to There's nothing wrong with saying that, like, you're else. dead inside. <laughs> well, I do think, I mean, I do think that these, a lot of the stories come from a female perspective. However, mm-hmm. I do think that there is something to be gained uh, for men reading from this particular perspective, especially Boys Buy Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down, um, I think would be good for men to read. Yeah. That book, so that one's near the end, and Mm -hmm. that one was one of the stories that, there were a few, where I wasn't just reading it, I was reading it with like this, so people are listening and can't see me. I have my shoulders to my ears because I was cringe reading, not because it was bad, but because I was so uncomfortable emotionally waiting to see what would happen and waiting to see where it would go, especially because there are certain red flags that come up and you're just waiting for something painful. So I, I loved how you were able to create those feelings just in little bits there and make my, my shoulders go up and do this. But the whole collection isn't like that because if it was, it would be painful to read the whole thing. It would be tedious. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing takes you through an emotional roller coaster. It isn't one note at all. I appreciate that. 
I hope so. I just was watching The Bear, if you watched The Bear this season, and they had, have you seen it? I haven't watched this season. It gave me like a lot of flashbacks to like every guy, again, I dated in my 20s, where it was just like, (laughs) it's like, oh my gosh, this is triggering. (laughs) Right. Well, they have one episode called Forks, and they ramp up the tension and then release it with humor. They ramp up the tension and then release it with tender moments. And I just thought that was done so beautifully. So that's one of my goals moving forward. I really want to work on that skill as a writer. Well, I think you nailed it. And I feel like the collection, I don't know how much say you had in the order or whether you just threw it at the editor and the editor did one of these and rearranged things. So it would have a good flow to it, but it flows very nicely. So you can read them individually, but like Jennifer said, it's very easy to binge through them because they kind of lend themselves to an easy pass through rather than kind of jumping all over the place to the point where you don't really know where your brain can settle and kind of sit with it. But I usually try to like at least stop a little bit and do something else before I'd read the next one, just so my brain could put a little line between them. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Sorbet. Sorbet. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So are you, do you consider yourself primarily a short story writer or, because I know this is your debut. But as as writers, we have, you know, Mm -hmm. a closet or a box filled with failed attempts at Uh everything from plays to novels Mm -hmm. to weird (laughs) poems. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've written poetry. I've written novels. I just finished a recent novel. I just finished it, which I'm really excited about that as well. So and now I'm on to my novel after that. So it's always I'm really trying to create a body of work. I want to create a, you know, a collection. So I write all different kinds of things, but I think uh, primarily short stories and novel are my genre. Not haiku. That's fine. Not haiku. (laughs) Not poetry so much. I mean, I'll do poetry, I'll do essays, but they're not necessarily my go-to. Well, and that's fine. I don't think there's a huge market out there for haiku right now. I mean, possibly. <laughs> Mostly it's third graders learning how to do haiku and right. we've learned how to sing them. So you always know the <laughs> rhythm and the meter, but that's probably not helpful for like building a whole body of work because I'm <laughs> yeah, they're very really short. tired of that same feel <laughs> over and over. And then I would start talking in haiku and people would just smack <laughs> say, you need to stop. <laughs> well, I assign my students haiku. Do you really? They like the structure. The yeah. structure helps because mm-hmm. I do know that there's sometimes something freeing about structure because then you know when you're done, you know how much yeah. you can sit in a line and you know it works if it fits the structure, whether or not it says yeah. something interesting or is actually a good haiku. It's like, well, did it hit the five, seven, five? You win haiku. You have won. You created a haiku. <laughs> and there's something very satisfying about finishing something. So sometimes mm-hmm. like it's just like, I've done it. I did Absolutely. a poem. A poem. Absolutely. As, as opposed to like staring at like a word document going, okay, 70,000 more words and I've got myself a book. Right. I've written three of them. I've written three words. <laughs> You're like, it's my name. That's all I, I got. Know, exactly. It's Jennifer Ann Gordon. It is. <laughs> it is Anna Dixon James. <laughs> But that works. Well, and when you're teaching then, how much of it is stuff that you then can apply to your own work? Are you kind of overlapping like, hey, kids at home, this is what I'm doing? Because you're teaching college students. This isn't like Mm -hmm. you're teaching fifth graders and they're not ready to take on some of what you're doing. Do you teach them using your work? Have you had them read all this stuff? Yeah, well, here here's a secret because students have really learned how to Google answers. Like, you know, if they're reading Raymond Carver, you're going to find a paper about that online. 
good luck finding Anna Dixon James's The Art of Drowning. So I have used my work, but only for that reason, I, because I can really see what they're able to analyze without Googling entirely. I like so that. I it, has, that. It, it has nothing to do with ego so much as they can't cheat. Right, <laughs> <So>. right. <laughs> do you end up telling them that it's your work? Some of them I didn't at first. And so they would say, Mr. James, like they would refer to Mr. James, the author, you know what I mean? When they would write about it. And then the smarty students, they caught on AD James, they caught on. (laughs) They're like, wait, why do you have the same name? Oh, yeah. I was a poli sci student and our teachers would just outright assign us their work as text. So we were used to it, but I never had an English professor do that. All my English professors, professors were having us read things that were usually really, really old and not necessarily relevant. It's like Shakespeare. He's not, he's not here for us to Google, but I think everybody kind of knows who he is. If if Shakespeare were secretly teaching my English class, that would have been amazing. Yeah, it would have been incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm even older than I look. <laughs> I'm like, your skin routine is marvelous, Allison. You don't look a day over. <laughs> 500 or 600. <laughs> it's all good. No, I, I love that you use that, though. Um, my husband actually teaches writing specifically, though, to elementary schoolers. And there's kind mm-hmm. of a lack of really useful texts out there, especially for things mm-hmm. like teaching kids how to write. So he's part of what's called the UCI writing program. And he's worked with a lot of that stuff. But a lot of it, it really is just really mechanical stuff. So he has, I'll come in, I'll see his monitor lit up and it's covered in highlights because he's breaking things down to, well, what's descriptive text? Mm-hmm. What's dialogue? And what's what's background? And this is exposition and being able to have them break it down that way. And so often these kids when they're reading things, they don't necessarily stop to think that. And they're thinking about like, well, what's the cool story and what happens over here? And just having them see these little pieces, sometimes that helps. And then, you know, you can just make them write a haiku when you're done. That's fine too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be clear, I don't use my work when I'm teaching them how to be a writer. I use it when I'm teaching them analysis. So when I'm using, yeah, yeah, I use other. Yeah. You're not like, oh, and check out this amazing story right. by the most perfect writer. <laughs> yeah. Exemplar text. I know. You better love this. Your grade depends on it. <laughs> Your grade will be a review on Goodreads. And I'm gonna, <laughs> and if it's not five star, you will fail the class. So. I'm going to write this down. These are all good ideas. You're like, yeah, no, actually, this could really help opening oh. week for this book. <laughs> well, and it, is, and it is true that having that ability to analyze so often those things are spoon fed to us that if you don't have the ability to look at a new text that hasn't already been analyzed to death, because even if they think they kind of know how much of it is just being parroted back because we're like, yeah, we all know that this text means this because they've heard it. So they start to identify that, but it's not really being able to see something brand new and go, what are the themes in this thing? So, you know, if you ever need new work, you know, Jen and I can just send you a little stuff and be like, have me analyze this. Absolutely. Yeah. I do I mean, not this my work. Really. <laughs> Truly. I was like, yeah, uh, you might regret saying that. I know words. I would regret this. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, more. oh, wow, that's a whole lot of swears. <laughs> yeah. no. These are college kids. These no, aren't kids who are going to be traumatized excessively mm-hmm. by Excessively. Excessively. Just slightly. <laughs> just a little. No. Just traumatized my, enough my is where we want them. My back from play rehearsal last night and said, there's a swear in the show. And I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, he says flipping. <laughs> That's so sweet. No, it's like my seven-year-old does swear, and we're trying to get him to stop. And my twelve-year-old's like, they said flipping, flipping pancakes. That's That's so such a bad word. (sighs) 
So Anna, can you talk about like what your process is like? So we always joke like, okay, our show is called Word Vomit. So we always have to mm-hmm. ask, you know, the hard hitting questions of like, how often do you mess up? Every other word. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody who's written for a while has those pieces where it just kind of falls out and tumbles out and you just make quite a few you know, you might just make a couple of adjustments, but you just polish a little bit. Yeah. But most of us, it's craft. I mean, you slog out mm-hmm. craft every day and, you know, you, you remember the things that you learn, you know, these themes have to match or, you know, you want to make sure you're, I mean, even as basic as show don't tell, you know, which is so great why I teach beginning writing, because I re- I'm reminded of that every yeah. semester, I get a brand new lesson for myself on the fundamentals and the basics and here's how that to do dialogue good. and uh you know but it's craft I mean it's, it's so funny because you keep you said oh sometimes these are great sometimes it's craft and I was like sometimes it's crap that's right oh you're saying crap yeah. yes. okay, no, I thought you were gonna say crap too and I'm like yes exactly and then you're like craft you're eloquent you're a professor and Allison and I are like not professor yeah it's crap Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's crap that you craft, craft exactly. into yeah. something ready. Oh, yeah. Polish that turd. There yes. you go. And then, and, and I was going to say, you know, you yeah. talk about whether a story has good bones, and then I'm thinking of that, and then it ends up being like owl scat because it's got the pellets. Ew, Allison. No. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like biology, all right? That's natural stuff with the bones. And then my kids have sorted through it at a museum before, and they're like, here's mm. some owl stuff. And my kids are like, yay! yeah it's kids are weird it's fine yikes my goodness how do they like okay let's get uh, away from the poop subject well it's not it's I, just, I, think they, I think they hork it up I don't think that it goes through but either way they can't if they eat a whole mouse raw they got to do some with the bones you cannot digest a bone even if you're an owl that is true and I so if we're talking about owls and talking about eating I had a friend who worked at the Audubon Society and she let me hand feed the baby owl that they had raw mice live nope they were dead thank god but you have to for the baby owls you have to like make the (laughs) mouse look like it's alive so like I was holding it by the tail and like wiggling it around and then the owl pounced on it and as a vegetarian uh it was a disgusting process but I also got the owl to like land in my nesty gross hair and it was just like trying to like all right, so the, the interview went off the rails. <laughs> I was just going to say at this point, this is when Jennifer decided she was not going to be like a falconer and have it. She's like, this is not for me. This is not what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> nope. Stick to theater and dancing and writing and no, keep it in the owl free zone. Keep the owls away from me. <laughs> no, that's fair. But I like that you have these really basic things that you're starting each semester because honestly, so many of the things that I learned about writing came from reading books. And I don't feel like I ever had a single teacher, even when I was in college, try to teach me how to write. Even when I was in the creative writing courses that I had to take as part of my undergrad. But to be fair, I was not an English major. I was poli sci, so we didn't have that. But it was part of the basics from my college. John Muir College made us take that primarily because everybody there, except for a few of us, were all bio majors. And most of them couldn't do a sentence without help. So it's like, you guys need some really, really basic ways to, here's a sentence. There (laughs) you go. But I love that you have those really basic things because I don't feel like we teach it in junior high or high school. We mm-hmm. might do grammar and then half of us still don't know where commas go. 
Jennifer. Um, I don't. There you I'm are. like, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and I don't think that makes I'm getting a little better. I'm not a strong writer, but just basic grammatical things are mm-hmm. what we teach. But things like, like you said, mm-hmm. how do you write dialogue? What makes good dialogue? I don't even think I've ever read anything. This is what makes good dialogue. How well, do you I'll, tell you, I'll tell yeah, you. Can the, you teach us? <laughs> the best lessons in writing for me were when I had to teach literature. So I taught it to myself and then I applied it to actual writing. So Mm -hmm. when you're looking at your, you know, literature textbook by Kennedy, which is the famous textbook, it goes through each chapter is character setting. And so it was reading these amazing examples, you know, from history and you could analyze them and see what the author did. That was the thing that really, really took my writing, I think, really up a notch. And that was after I had already had my MFA. I mean, <laughs> even after, I mean, truly. Like, I mean, now you tell me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean <laughs> truly, this a lot earlier, maybe, before they gave me the M, the F, or the A. Well, the thing is, is you have to really know it in order to teach it. You know, you can learn it to get your MFA, but you really learn it when you teach it. Yeah. And so... No, I believe it. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's, for me, I've learned what I've learned primarily through writing and I mean, through, through reading good writing. And so yep. it's funny because yeah. that's one of the reasons why I find myself really drawn to strong writing, because it feels like it's hurting my brain. If I'm not reading something that's elevating me, like if I'm not being a little yeah. bit challenged, then not mm-hmm. only am I just kind of eating cotton candy for the head, oh, it's like the dumb brains again, but it's also, it's also one of those things where my voice is always, whether I want it to or not, it's always shaped by whatever else I'm reading. And if I'm reading something that's subpar, I'm going to start mimicking that whether I mean to or not, because we can't help but take in what these things are. And some things, they may go in one ear and one out the other, but generally those are the voices that form us. And we are the product of the other writers that we've taken in. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I know some writers like, well, do you really need to read a lot to be a writer. And I'm just, yes. you don't need to, but you won't be any good if you don't. Right. <laughs> I mean, like I, yeah. I say, yes, you have to, but yeah. I, I, but I know some writers who are like, they brag about how they never read. And I'm like, <laughs> like, that's not cool, dude. Like, yeah, generally, generally. like maybe keep that to yourself. I never read books. Oh, no, is their also. writing still good? Nope. I mean, it's I mean, fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's not, but it, yeah, to me, I just can't imagine not reading. Like I, as you said, when you first came on the show, you were just like, you fell in love with reading when -hmm. you're young. And I think we all did. Mm -hmm. I remember when I like was little and I realized the books I was reading that that was somebody's job to make that. And I'm like, (laughs) what? You can do that? Like, well, and then if you're like me, you had a parent telling you that is not an acceptable job and you have to go to law school. So well, I went said, to school for theater. So you can see how problem. well that went <laughs> when my parents said, being a writer is not an acceptable job. I'm like, then acting it is. <laughs> like a kid who says, can I get a tattoo? And they said no. And then they go, okay, then I get a motorcycle. All right. Because you just step one down, like, which is the worst mm. to allow your parent to say, mm, I maybe just, not. You know, I'm proud of the fact that I've never uh, had a job that is a, a real job. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have never been respectable in my life. <laughs> I know. Like, Yay! <laughs> Congrats! I know. Also, like, I'm going to you- die poor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is. But then, then the whole idea of 
if you're not someone who like some people are like, oh, I like stories, but I don't really like reading. And I, I do personally love audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Like if I can get an audiobook, I will eat it up primar- primarily because I, a, a good narrator, will elevate the story so much. Yeah. Um, but I still like to read with my eyes too. It's not like I can't do both. But for people who are like, well, but I watch movies or TV shows, isn't that the same? No. Like you might still get, you might get good ideas. You might get good inspiration. You might be inspired by characters or setting or tone or style, but they're such different media. And I I know a few people who I've beta read for them and you can tell that they're influenced by movies because they don't understand how to start a book. And I'm like, when did you last read a book that started like this? And they're like, and then you close the mouth. You know, okay. When did you last read a book? Just full stop. And they, they don't really know because they're trying to start a book like a movie and you usually can't do that. It doesn't usually translate from one to another. So, I mean, I, I love movies. I watch way too much TV, less now because I just don't have time. But you can't just translate one to the other. If you want to write a screenplay, that's awesome. I have no idea how to do it, but it doesn't look like a book. I mean, and there's a different process that happens in your brain when you're reading something in text as, you know, as opposed to when you're watching something on film or on TV or whatever. I mean, different parts of the brain light up and get activated. So, I think if you want to if you want to be a writer, you should be engaging in that medium. As I like well. that Anna just totally pulled. I would call it Jennifer and Allison, where you're like, if you want to be a writer, and like, <laughs> if, if you've seen our podcast, you know that we do things like this all the time, where we're like, if we're writing, mm-hmm. and then our viewers are like, what are they doing with their hands? And then we do the screenshots. <laughs> little, little fingers. Actually, what I do with this high, because if I type, you can't see my hands. So I've got to have them right. up on my eyeballs, mm-hmm. and then it looks like I'm like either spiders. Or it's marionettes. Or the ASL sign for uh, bear. That's bear? Yeah. I think it is. Or monster. I don't know ASL. Now now I'm second guessing myself. Yeah, they can correct us. Go, you just said something terribly rude. No, (laughs) it's not not anything, Jennifer. Don't do that. No, but Anna, you're completely completely correct. You need to do the media that you are going to be doing. So if you're writing books, read books. And I would even say the same thing is true for short stories, read short stories. Mm -hmm. I am awful at short stories and I love them. And I love reading short stories, especially collections. And I've written some, they are not good. I would not be submitting them anywhere. And I think it's a great exercise. And I I was on, I was on a website a while back before I was really full-time writing called Scribeophile. And I would be putting on short stories and it was a good process to be doing flash fiction on Fridays and have that in there, work that muscle. It's just not a muscle I'm very good at. But I know that it's different. I bet you're being harder on yourself than you have to be. You haven't had to see any of it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I hate to be like, well, I'm terrible at short stories because I have a collection coming out. Yeah, you like, probably should. But I, but I never thought I was. They're bad. I never thought I was good at them, but and I will say they're hard for me to do. That's different than not being good at it, right? Being good and, and whether it comes easy are not the same thing necessarily. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm very long winded, so. I always have a hard time with my short stories because all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, it's 12,000 words. Mm-hmm. And then I mm-hmm. like look at the call sheet. And I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be 4,000 words. I see. Yeah. I guess that. It's because math. They're making you do math again. Math like count the words. Even if it's at the bottom and it just tells right there in the word document, this is how many words you have exceeded what you're supposed Like it should just stop. Your words should just turn off. Like story is done. I wasn't done. No, you're done. I've decided you're, you're just done. So Anna, as a, obviously as a writer, as a huge reader, do you have a genre that you particularly like to read in? 
Oh man, I love right. everything. Yeah, you were I love over the map in this. Mm-hmm. And personally, I was I was gonna ask, is your novel related to any of the stories in here and does it involve roller derby? No, my <laughs> it's, uh, well, it actually kind of picks up where uh, "Staying Alive," the very last story in the book, ends. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was facing surgery two years ago, and so I also had a shift in my faith, and so I began to ask myself these. I'm facing surgery, and you know, some thinking about what happens after you die. So I started writing um, a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Oh, <gasps> I love it! Yeah. And so each, and so it explores the themes of what happens when you die and every different ending explores a different philosophy of what happens after death. And oh, then nice. also, I love, that. I love that. Can we get that now? <laughs> uh, hopefully it's, it's really done. So I'm getting ready to shop it out. But then it also explores the themes of does your behavior while you're alive on earth impact what happens to you when you die? So there's a couple of those themes in there. So Turn to page 35 and find out. Yes. Oh, that's when you hold, you have the finger on the page and you look, you're like, ah, get like, out of the game, oh, get out of no. the game. Back, I don't back, like back. that after that. I know. I think we all cheated mm-hmm. in those. We're like, and we're going back. I don't like where I ended up. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I meant to say the other one for sure. Well, a lot of, if you look at Choose Your Own Adventure, it's entirely random. If, it, you know, uh, historically, it's totally random. So you can pick one ending or another, and it doesn't really matter. But I tried to make my consequences match the protagonist's choice. So that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Not like, hey, they made a good choice. They fell you off die anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You die. <laughs> and you, did, you did everything right. Ha ha. Yeah. It sounds like you're trying to make more sense of life than life actually makes sense in reality, as far as. If you make good choices, good things will happen because that is not actually true for most people. And that's one of the biggest right. lessons you have to learn growing up is, yes, you should make good choices, but good good choices do not guarantee any particular outcome because there is randomness and there is chance. And there are other people's choices that impinge on yours. And you can go through going, I'm going to only make good choices. And you can then look back and go, they seems like good choices. And now I realize they were bad or, okay, they were good. But then I was involving people that they made bad choices. And now here I am, whether I want to be or not. Excellent point. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm, curious about okay so I we all like to choose your own adventure when we were kids it was it I'm so mystified at how those books are like put together like what was it like to physically like is your book in a ton of different documents is it like like how does it even work because I know some people are saying oh what do you use I'm like I just type I use word Mm -hmm. and people are using all these other things now I'm going I just type in a document and but when he make changes, I save it in the document. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't understand people who use these really fancy things, but maybe they'd be helpful for something like that. Yeah. Like the, the well, I literally wrote it in one gigantic document, but then I would put notes like go to this page so that okay. I could trigger myself. But <laughs> as I'm editing, as I was editing, I separated each strand so that I could make sure that they were thematically cohesive from yeah. the beginning to yeah. the end, because mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're separate stories. So how do you make sure that they match that the beginning right. of the story matches and it feels satisfying for the reader to get to that ending. So it was in the editing process that I separated every strand out. 
Did you use actual yarn? Because I really hope you had like yarn connecting these and just all over your like an entire wall. I'm so like a serial killer. I'm gonna pose for photos that make it look like I did because that seems so romantic. But I say do it. Just don't tell anybody other than in this interview that that was like that was not. It was just one document. Like we want to see yarn. We want to see doing. We want to see the strings. I want to see different colored yarn. Yes. And then you tied up all of it. Photos. (laughs) Yeah. Getting tangled. Like. Oh yeah, that's what I want to see. Is the cover of your book a real person? Um, <laughs> we we have such hard hitting questions. Sorry, oh, yes, I know. I, I want because I'm like thinking that's not you, mm-hmm. but she looks like I want to say like a 40s or 50s pinup, kind of. Which yeah. is funny because it has nothing to do with the pinata story at all. <laughs> so people who can't see this, go to go look on our Instagram, see this cover because yes, you can see there's a woman there ah, on top of the the pinata. There's also roller skates. I can't see them there, and flowers and everything there is just. I want to see this hanging in an art gallery. Am I okay? Total digression. I took my 12 year old to Bowers Museum today and I knew it had stuff from around the world. And, and mostly I was thinking more of like cultural things in terms of handicrafts and stuff, but it also has paintings, including modern paintings that you can actually buy. And I saw one that I loved. And of course, then I looked it up and it's like $8,000. I'm like, well, I'm not buying it today. But I just, I love the fact that they really should have. I'm going, I, I actually wrote down, I have, I pulled up the name of the artist. So I'm going, not like I'm ever going to get a place where a publisher is going, do you have an artist you'd like to commission for this cover? And I'm like, yes, I do. It's this lady. She'll charge me $8,000. Do we have that in the budget? And then they'll say, no, we don't. But I, I love that you have all this in there and that these, did, did they read your whole collection to get these? Or did you give them some visual objects or this woman? Because the woman I don't place from any particular story really either. Um, she, so the woman represents this kind of antiquated thinking where women are responsible for the happiness of men and women are responsible for the happiness of the children and women Mm -hmm. are responsible for X, Y, Z. So while she doesn't appear in the stories, it's this idea of a woman. She's still there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she doesn't match to any specific person unless she's the zombie and I just didn't recognize her. I mean, she might be chrysanthemum. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, I think Eric uses, so he uses collage. So Mm -hmm. I think he gets these images from somewhere and cuts Mm -hmm. them out. So he has a treasure trove of these kind of 50s looking, you know, see Jane run. That's exactly how it is. You can't really Mm -hmm. see it unless you're like looking closer, but the styles, the makeup, Mm -hmm. the hair, all of it is like, yeah, none Mm -hmm. of the stories were, none of the stories were set there. They were all more modern, including Mm -hmm. boys buy me drinks and watch me mm-hmm. fall down. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Jen, if you've gotten to that one yet, but I haven't, I've been waiting. It's, it's second to last one. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's, there were so many places there where I'm just like, I think I've lived this. I think I've been there You're following me around. This is making me really, uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a good thing. But, but I love, I love how those were, those were there. So for the collage, did you have them read any of these things or did you give them specific ideas? Like the fact that there's the roller skates and the pinata, those are pretty on the nose. I mean, I told him, I told him, I gave him images to put in there. Okay. So wherever he wanted to put them, he put them. But this is what he does. Like if you go to his website, he does that anyway on his own. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really great when you get uh, like a relationship with an artist, because I know I've worked with a few artists for my books, uh, Don Noble being one of my all time favorites. And he was, I love his covers. Um, and 
yeah, like working with him on like a cover for my book from daylight to madness, like it was just a really great process. Cause I'm like something with a teacup, something yes. blah, something like I want it to look like an old fashioned prayer card, but it needs a teacup oh. and a woman who's going to drown. And he's like, okay. Spoiler. It's your book. We already knew that was going to happen. Know. There's always a drowning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's your calling card. I it thematically. <laughs> Thematically, thematically drowned women. It's all, it's all good. No, but just having those, having those art tie-ins there. I love how they bring those out. And I love it because the, because the cover for boys buy me drinks to watch me fall down is so joyful, but also just off kilter. I love that because that, that does feel like how the book is because you never really know where you're going, but you're along for this roller coaster or roller derby on the roller skate. <laughs> I, I just, all of those, like I had pictures of Harley Quinn in my head and I was this close to putting my hair in Harley Quinn. I'm really hot today. So I put my hair up rather than down because I couldn't handle the heat. I'm like, could I do the Harley Quinn? I'm like, no, Mar- right now, Margot Robbie is pulling Barbie. She does not need me calling back to the Harley <laughs> Quinn era. We're not going to, we're not going to pull that. But I mean, I felt like even a Barbie could have worked on the front cover as far as yeah. that same yeah. expectations of what women are supposed to be and what women are supposed to do and what the expectations are. And then, through that male lens and the male gaze and the beauty industry being like, that was one of the stories about the beauty industry that that I just, I don't even know what to say other than it went where I was glad it went. If that makes any sense at all. Like it, Mm -hmm. it could have gone a lot of places that could have been darker or could have been uglier, could have been grittier, but it just made sense where it went. And I think I've dated that guy too. Um, yeah. There were a lot of books where I, a lot of the stories in the book, like, I think I dated him and I think I dated him. Mm-hmm. I might've married yeah. that guy. <laughs> well, and this is, so in this, you know, it's 2023 and I think everybody here would consider themselves a feminist, right? And they treat themselves with the respect and they don't take any guff and they're, you know, intelligent. <laughs> I take way yet, more guff than I should. I know. I'm like, that's exactly we're still taking guff. and that's exactly what I was going to say we find ourselves in these situations and we Mm -hmm. think we're alone we feel shame guilt Mm -hmm. we think we're alone but they're you know that's our culture even in 2023 and so you know that my my number one hope is that people can you know at least relate to the stories at least you know in some way their past selves maybe moving on to better selves yeah (laughs) They definitely will be able to. And again, it's been awesome talking to you. Uh, August 1st, this book, it, but it's available for pre-order now. Mm-hmm. So everywhere you can buy your books, uh, please. Can I get it directly from Whiskey Tit? I just wanted to say Whiskey Tit again. Whiskey Tit. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There you go. Get it direct from them. I love it. I know. Like I, we had the ebook and we loved it. And I'm like, I'm one of those people that if I love a book, I need to like physically own a copy of it too. So I'm already know I'm buying it because like, <laughs> I, I need the cover in my life to just like stare at. I kind of want it as a poster. I just, I know I want to like frame it. <laughs> the big well, thank you so much. I really appreciate spending time with you today. Y'all are fun, super fun to talk to. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, thank you. Of course, Allison, uh, Everybody, make sure to tune in next week when we have returning guest Kim Taylor Blakemore writing as Katie Blakemore and her new novel, The Good Time Girls, which is a Western. So, You're going to dress Western, aren't you? I'm going to dress like a, a saloon girl. I don't have a saloon girl dress. 
I'm going to dress like I went to go for Gulch, which is like the, the day camp my kids went to. And my kid has a little stuffed armadillo. I might bring my armadillo. It's my kid's armadillo. I don't know if she'll let me borrow. I feel like it. last time we had a Western, we like both held up shoes. Like yeah, we I, held had up a, cowboy I had a kid's boots. boot. I have no Western stuff. Neither <laughs> do I. I have that. I live in Southern <laughs> California. They People who dress like that, they're not cosplaying. That's like their life. <laughs> Not me. So everybody will have to tune in next week for uh, whatever uh, <laughs> shenanigans we dress as. We never, <laughs> we never know. Thank you, everyone, and we will see you all next week.